Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083. Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. The book of Revelation is the Bible's last book. In Jeff Kenley's new book, he examines 13 characteristics of God in Revelation that foretells Earth's last days. I'm Mark Taylor, and welcome to Crosspoint. My guest today is Jeff Kinley. Well, welcome again, Jeff Kinley, to Crosspoint. And uh, Jeff, we appreciated you when you came and spoke and kind of informed the people. And now you've got another new book out here, and I believe we are building to this. It's God's Grand Finale. And in this book, man, right in the front of it here, you say, but beyond all its prophecies and the unveiling of foretold events, you say Revelation is more than anything else a book about God? How is that? Yeah, well, basically, as we go through Revelation, we, we do get what we expect, which is a great overview of the last days and the end times. But at the same time, Mark, what happens is is that we encounter God himself. And what I do in the book is I highlight 13 different attributes of God that we see really rising up in out of the prophecies of the book of Revelation. So it's really a, an encounter with God as well as an encounter with the future. So you believe like Revelation is about Jesus. You say Jesus is Revelation on uh, page 23 here of the book. You said, it is here in Revelation that John is given the vision of the second member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. And as we will discover in our journey through this book, he is the main character and the central theme throughout. And, and I know that it is, but really it's all about Christ. <laughs> it really is. It's uh, the, the very first verse of the book of Revelation says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it comes from Christ, but it's also about Christ. It begins with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus, and we see Jesus all the way through it. Okay, so you talk about, you know, the 13 different areas of here of the book. You, t you start that out by what's in a name, and then the unfamiliar name of Jesus. How does the unfamiliar name of Jesus, are you saying that people really don't know who Jesus is today, uh, differently than in times past? Well, in that chapter, the unfamiliar Jesus, basically I talk about how when John gets his vision of this glorified Christ, uh, he's vastly different from the Christ that is preached on most Sunday mornings or that most Christians think about. We tend to kind of get our image of Jesus based on the Gospels, uh, based on what he did there, his miracles, his compassion, his mercy, his dying on the cross, that type of thing. But by the time we get to John, uh, John's revelation in AD 95, uh, he doesn't see the Christ walking around in sandals. He sees uh, Jesus who is exalted, who is glorified. And, and this encounter, Mark, that, that John has with Jesus is so traumatizing to him that it says he falls at his feet as a dead man. And so he essentially has a, a shutdown of his system by encountering the holiness of Christ, the righteousness, the glory, the majesty. And uh, we don't hear a lot of that talked about these days. We always want to go back and just see Christ walking around on, on earth. 
But uh, yeah, it's it's an unfamiliar Jesus to the church today because of his great glory. Well, we know about the seven letters to the churches, and I'm assuming this is what we're uh, you're working to on chapter three and four is entitled Letters to the Churches. And you have that in kind of a two-part series there, three and four, kind of part one and part two. Is is that how you kind of line that part up? Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't want to just skim over uh, Christ's letters to the churches, so I divided it in two chapters and, and dealt with um, those seven churches in both those uh, chapters there. So just really going into greater detail about what, it, what did Jesus say to those churches How do they apply to our churches today? I mean, is Christ really speaking these same words uh, to the churches today? And so I sort of take a deep dive into uh, each of his letters to the seven churches. You talk about uh, in here a trip to the throne room. Now you talk about the throne is occupied. Tell us about that. You know, a lot of people, you know, they've heard of the throne of God and that, but how important is that? Well, it's immensely important because John is about to be told about the most horrific, chaotic, catastrophic time in all of human history, which is the time of tribulation, uh, chapters uh, 6 through 19. And so uh, God wants to prepare John for that. And so to do that, Jesus says, come up here. And so he goes up to heaven, and it says the first thing that he sees is a throne. Uh, He didn't talk about the beauty of heaven, didn't talk about who he whose relatives he sees up there, he talks about uh, this throne, and it captures his attention. And uh, 13 times in 11 verses, the word throne is mentioned. And it's just really indicative of the fact that God is in charge, that he is a sovereign God, uh, that the throne is not not empty, but it's occupied, uh, meaning that uh, the whole universe is is controlled, it's stable. Um, God's determined the times of, of boundaries of nations, the length of our lives. He's in charge. I mean, he is a he's the yeah. God of the universe. And and John really needed that. He needed that kind of comfort to carry that truth with him as he's in chapter 12, chapter 13 uh, of Revelation, just knowing that no matter what happens here on earth, and even in the chaotic times of the tribulation, God is still in charge. I know on the back of the book you mentioned that a God is centered over, it's kind of a God-centered overview of Revelations, what the mm-hmm. book's about, but you talk about Revelation relating to current events. Is that the way you look at Revelation? Well, it certainly does, and we're certainly seeing the foreshadows, the emerging prophecies that we see in Revelation that are fulfilled there during that time of tribulation. We certainly do see them coming into focus right now. And so even as I go through the, the those chapters there and then talk about what's going on, uh, planet Earth in peril uh, in chapter 7, even in the wrath of God, we can still see God just really revealing himself, and we can see our own world really converging and conforming to God's prophetic narrative. Now, you entitled the book God's Grand Finale. It says, Grath, Grace, and Glory in Earth's Last Days. So this God's Grand Finale is a book that says things are wrapping up? It is, and, you know, think about it. God closed out his written revelation to mankind, with a book about the end times, uh, when he could have said anything he wanted to do, he, you know, anything he wanted to say, uh, he could have just told us to love one another. But he, he said, "Look, I want to tell you what's going to happen, but also to tell you who I am." And so that's really the the premise of the book is that through these end times events, through these prophecies, we learn something about God that we may have never known or, or may have never known at this level. Uh, so yeah, it certainly does reveal. 
those end time prophecies, but uh, gives our gives us a clear picture of who God really is. Now, Jeff, there's different interpretations about you know Revelation, the Book of Revelation, what goes on there. Uh, you know, you got your you know in the rapture, especially the timing of it, the tribulation, the pre-trib, post-trib views points that they have there. Uh, in all of that, in the Book of Revelation, what does the book there? for this God's grand finale, reveal to us about this very issue that people have a lot of discussion about. Yeah, well, in, in Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 10, uh, Jesus tells the church there that she will be kept out of this hour of testing that's about to come upon the whole world. A very interesting a Greek construction there just literally means to lift up out of it. it, means that we're not even a part of it. And I use the illustration of how you can ride out a hurricane, and that's sort of like what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did with man's wrath. Or you can be lifted up out of the wrath, which is what happened with Noah. That's what happened with Enoch. And uh, Jesus promises he will rescue us from the wrath of, to come. So you have that that promise there, but also just the, the portrayal of the church in the book of Revelation. Uh, we see the church, obviously, in chapters 2 and 3, but all of a sudden in chapter 4, all of a sudden the church is now in heaven. Uh, up there represented by the 24 elders, and we don't see the church on earth at any other point uh, until chapter 19, where the church, the bride of Christ, is seen coming from heaven with Jesus at the second coming. And and there's certainly saints that are, are saved during the tribulation period, uh, but they're not a part of the bride of Christ as defined by the New Testament. And so, yeah, so the, the picture of the book of Revelation uh, the number of times the word church is used, where it's used, all points to one conclusion, is that we're not here during the time of tribulation. Yeah. Now, you mentioned, and you kind of clarify this a little bit, um, you say in Revelation we can learn, in the first ten words of Scripture, how does that relate to that? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, there was a, a man in the 18, uh, by 1820 by the name of Herbert Spencer. He was an evolutionist. Uh, or became an evolutionist, and uh, he, he outlined these five principles, he says, that help us understand the whole universe. In other words, we can understand everything about the universe through these five principles, and they were time, force, energy, space, and matter. He says if you can understand those principles, you can know everything there is to know about life and who we are. Well, in the first ten words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, in the beginning, that's time. God, that's force. Created, that's energy. Heavens, that's space. And earth, that's matter. And so in the first ten words of the whole Bible, we can understand really everything that science claims to know uh, about the universe. But God put it all the way back in the first ten words of the Bible. You know, Jeff, we've heard a lot about the mark of the beast. You mentioned this here in the book. Now, I used to, <clears throat> the mark of the beast was going to be 666 on everybody's forehead. And then there's been a lot of discussion, well, you could be microchipped, or it could be here on your hand, or what. Tell us what you find in Revelation and how this relates to God's grand finale. Yeah, so the word that's used for the mark of the beast is a Greek word, karagma, which essentially means in that day, sort of like a brand or a tattoo. In other words, it's something uh, in Revelation 13 specifically says it will be on top of the skin, uh, so not underneath it. So that sort of rules out chips, uh, even though chips may not be something you want to do. Uh, but the mark of the beast will identify people 
as not only a worshiper of the Antichrist, but also it'll be their economic passport that they'll use to participate in the economy, so to have a job, to get a paycheck or whatever. And and it plays into the overall prophetic scenario, because Antichrist at that point, the midpoint of the tribulation period, will begin to forcefully exercise his rule on planet Earth as the, the head of Earth, as the, the ruler of the world. And so he'll claim to be God, he'll go into the Jewish temple, uh, he'll desecrate the temple, and everyone will be uh, be required to take this mark. I mean, they'll have to take it voluntarily, but uh, but without it, you don't you don't eat. <laughs> and yeah. uh, also, he'll come after those Christians who don't take the mark as well. Uh, Revelation twenty and, and verse four tells us that uh, that those Christians who refuse will be beheaded. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's a very significant uh, point in the Book of Revelation, and uh, it's a it's a kind of a pivotal point in the whole prophetic narrative of the end time. Well, you mentioned. You know, it'd be something like maybe a tattoo and and the significance of things happening. You know, to me, Jeff, when I see the significance of of hearing about that and then I see how much tattoos are affecting our society now. I mean, people people I never thought would be getting tattoos are getting tattoos. And some of them, there's, they become body art and everything else. But yeah. if it's become that easy to deal with a tattoo, then what difference would it be when the time come to just say, hey, here's just another tattoo, and it's going to say this and put it on your body in a certain spot? Yeah, I mean, it, it, tattoos are very, very mainstream, and, and whether or not the mark will be you know, some sort of indelible ink, uh, some sort of stamp. Uh, it could be some sort of, a, you know, a micro uh, imprinting on the skin. We don't know exactly what it'll be, but it'll be something that will we'll be able to be uh, read digitally and that everybody won't have a problem with. And I think, you know, part of it is, you know, right now with the way technology is moving from the external to the internal, I mean, we carry around all our technology on our wrist, on in our hand, uh, so the next step is to have something on us that, that would be able to identify us uh, digitally. And so in many countries are trying to roll out this whole idea of a, a digital ID in terms of having it connected to your person. So, yeah, it's, that's not a great stretch to think about some of these things that may, you know, even 10, 15 years ago seem very science fiction. But when you tie it to the fact that there's a crisis and, and in order to, to be able to eat and buy and sell and travel and all this other stuff, you're going to have to have it. And so as governments grow and as they continue with these mandates, um, all based on the, the premise of it's going to help you for your peace, for your safety, for your health, whatever, uh, then uh, we've already seen people will line up in droves to receive it. Now, Jeff, you've written several books. You do TV, you do radio. And then you got this latest book out, God's Grand Finale. So if people want to get a hold of you and your ministry, find out what you do, maybe have you come to speak like you've done here, and more about this book, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, just simply go to jeffkinley.com, and there's uh, places where you can see my speaking schedule, send me a note, uh, ask a question, whatever. I encourage folks to go there. All right. Well, folks, stay with us, and we're going to be back with more right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the Programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. 
Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. You're listening to Crosspoint. Welcome back to the show. I'm Mark Taylor. And with me today, I have Jeff Kinley. Actually, folks, we're working with Jeff to get him on the radio here with one of his programs. So it won't be long till we'll be hopefully making that happen. But also, Jeff has written a lot of books. And his latest book, God's Grand Finale, uh, kind of tells us what's getting ready to happen and why it's happening here uh, within the realm of what we see here in the world and in the United States. Now, Jeff, on page 103 of the book, you say, there was a time in our own country when, like <clears throat> dual watchmen, both the government and the culture had our backs. Basic uh, Christian values, uh, though not always practiced, were nevertheless upheld as the gold standard of morality, decency, and conduct. Well, boy, that sure changed a lot, hadn't it? <laughs> well, it really has. I mean, we have been betrayed, uh, morally speaking, by our own government and by culture at large, as, as our culture has become more secularized, as the Church has become more weak in its, its own doctrine and its influence in the community, uh, it's been like floodwaters, like the levees have broken. And uh, those Judeo-Christian values uh, that once were, like I said, the gold standard of our society have really been pushed to the margins. And so that's why we have so much mainstream talk about homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, abortion, uh, and so many other things in our society that are really attesting to the fact that uh, we have we have voted God off the island. Now, another part of the book here, Planet Earth or peril, in Peril, uh, there you say um, God's wrath towards sin was poured out on Jesus at the cross. During his six hours of suffering, a father not only blasted his son with the uh, eternity's worth of, of, of righteous anger, but also temporarily abandoning him. Why? Because the wages of sin or death are separated from God. And why should Christians understand God's wrath? So, you know, this is kind of part of your your title of your book in your title, God's Wrath. Kind of help us understand the real part of God's wrath that maybe we don't understand. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's so easy and obviously comforting to talk about the love of God, the kindness of God, forgiveness of God, all those great attributes. But uh, God is also a very righteous God. He's a holy God, and He's a wrathful God. And in reality, we as Christians want Him to be wrathful. In fact, all people want God to be righteous, because that's how all injustices are taken care of eventually. That's how the problem of evil is taken away. If God is not righteous, then those things don't happen. Uh, but I think it's important for Christians to embrace the wrath of God because, number one, it's an it's an attribute of God. It's part of who He is. Um, the Bible certainly does talk about God's wrath throughout um, the whole Scriptures, we really from Genesis uh, to Revelation. And then also it really helps us concerning the fear of God. I mean, knowing that God has created a place called hell uh, where He punishes those who are unrepentant in their sins ought to be a healthy deterrent uh, to us turning our lives over to sin. And so, and then again, just the whole idea of the whole book of Revelation, uh, chapter 6 through 19, is the record of God pouring out his wrath through a series of three different uh, judgments on planet Earth and on sinners. And that's why it's so important that people turn to Christ now so that they don't have to un- undergo and endure that horrible time. Jeff, why, do you, why did you think God ended his written word, which is the Bible as we know it, 
and that would be with the book of Revelation as a future prophetic event to come. Why do you think he ended up the book that way or the Bible that way? Well, I think a couple things. I think, number one, we all want to know what's going to happen in the future. There's something within, I think, the heart of heart of humanity that wants to know where this thing is going, uh, where history is headed. Uh, but it's also been God's pattern to do that. I mean, you go all the way back to, really, the book of Genesis, where God made the first prophecy in Genesis 3.15 about the, the, the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. I mean, that gave people hope, uh, even in, in the Garden of Eden that there's going to be a remedy to this sin problem. And all throughout the Old Testament, there's just filled with, with Bible prophecy. So God has always tilted our thinking towards the future. And so that's one reason, I think, and just to give us a heads up on how to, how to warn people from that time, uh, how to recognize the spirit of Antichrist uh, before he comes. And then also, uh, he tells us about heaven and the eternal state and where we're going to live and what it's going to be like. And so it really is sort of like um, you know reading the brochure before the vacation. I mean, God really does give Christians a great dose of hope uh, in the Book of Revelation because we find out that in the end Jesus wins and we're with Him, so we win as well. Yeah. Now you talk about a future. Chapter eight talks about that in a way of the last great awakening. Again, this is to me another area of discussion among many in the field of how this is going to happen, uh, you know, from your like your post-trib, pre-trib, and all that. Because I've heard people say, America has went too far. We're not coming back. There will not be any real big Great Awakening like we've seen and read about in the past, that there may be spots of it, but there will not be the massive move of it like we've heard. But there will be an awakening, a great move of God, after the Christians are gone, and as the tribulation goes about itself happening. And then I've had other people say, no, we're going to have a great awakening. God would not do that to his people at the end. So what's your take on this as you talk about this in chapter 8? Yeah, well, basically, I land on just saying what, what the Bible says. And, and the Bible does not uh, prophesy a last great awakening prior to uh, the rapture and God pouring out his wrath. Now, it's certainly possible uh, that could happen. There are things that have happened uh, in our world that are not found in prophecy, but they still happen. So, I mean, it's possible that could happen. But what we see is, with with the trajectory of our country, uh, we are we're a plane that is nose diving uh, to to the surface, and uh, we've we've avalanched uh, morally speaking. The idea that that could be reversed in our in our whole country be turned around. I think it's very unlikely. Now, what, what is happening right now is that there is a, a remnant of believers rising up right now, and they're being awakened to the truth of Scripture and Bible prophecy. So we are seeing, I think, pockets of that happen, uh, but not on a grand scale. But what the Bible does prophesy, in fact, in fact, the Bible says there will be a last day falling away from the faith, not a last day coming to faith. Yeah. Uh, but then when we, once we get into the tribulation period, uh, Mark, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter uh, 7 that there's going to be a massive turning to God uh, for those who have been left behind. Yeah. And John even says, I, I couldn't even count them all. They're just myriads and myriads of them. And I think a lot of people, once the rapture happens and the world essentially loses its mind, that they're going to suddenly realize that the rapture has occurred 
and that they need Jesus Christ, they need salvation, and they're going to immediately repent of their sins and be saved. And so there'll be millions like that, and I think that's one way they'll come to Christ. I think that, uh, you know, they'll find gospel sources left behind. They'll find, you know, books and videos and radio shows and that kind of thing that perhaps are playing. Um, but God's going to also send some, some evangelists on the scene, 144,000 young Jewish male evangelists. They're going to be these two witnesses, the miracle-working prophets they are going to come. Some people think they're Moses and Elijah uh, come back from heaven. Uh, so there's going to be a, a time of, of signs, wonders, a time of great repentance, great revival. Uh, however, the, the bad news for those believers is that the entire world is going to turn against them uh, immediately as they give their lives to Christ. In fact, in Revelation 6, during the first set of judgments God sends, we already see a massive amount of Christians being martyred during that time. So it's going to be a, a tough a tough road uh, for those believers, but the Bible says they'll persevere to the end. You talk about it in your book here. Uh, you mentioned about the literal thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, which is to some known as the millennium reign. I'd really like sometime just to do a whole cross point on that because that is an area that has me confused a little bit and understand that. But we don't have the whole show to talk about the millennial reign, but do tell us a little bit. Is this literally a thousand-year reign Christ talks about? Well, we believe it is, and one reason is because all the other prophecies that have been made about the end times and the first coming of Christ were all fulfilled in a literal fashion, not in a symbolic fashion. Uh, we, we read about the the reign of Christ, even all the way back to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, a verse we always quote around Christmas, where a child is born to us, a son is given, but then the very next word says, and the government rests upon his shoulders. And and so we know that there's going to be a reign, but it's not until Revelation 20 we find out how long that earthly kingdom's going to be. And I think uh, six times in seven verses he says the number a thousand. And in Revelation... Uh, the numbers in Revelation are literal numbers, and so we know that from the other prophecies. So we take that thousand-year reign to be literal, and uh, for Christ to be on the earth uh, during that time, uh, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, and it's going to be a, a glorious time. In fact, it's it's the answer to the Lord's Prayer uh, when we have prayed, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the millennial reign of Christ. Okay, so again, it's a power struggle to me as we get into this last phase of life as we know it here and we know there's a, a you know creature or whatever it's a, a person that's going to show up as a false prophet and then this antichrist uh, person will come on the uh, effect there now tell me with everything that's happening today to me there's a good possibility <laughs> the antichrist may be out there they just don't know they're the antichrist yet um, I don't know what AJ could be, but I don't know how close we are, but we sure see a lot of things that determine us. But why, uh, why the Antichrist is, is a part of this? Is, is this really just Satan in another form? Well, he's, he's Satan with skin on. Uh, he, he is essentially uh, the, the mirror, the mocking mirror image of what God did with Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus was the God-man. Uh, he was incarnated. He was fully God, but he was fully man. Uh, Satan will try to mock that by having his own Christ-like figure, his own Messiah, uh, if you will, the unholy trinity, Satan mimicking the Father, the Antichrist mimicking the Son, and the false prophet mimicking the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, he's going to be an actual person. He's going to be an actual male. 
I don't think that he's going to know the full extent of, of what's going on in his own life until the midpoint of the tribulation. Uh, but, but at that point, he's going to be fully possessed by Satan, and that's when he does uh, Satan's bidding in a way like no man in history has ever done. Well, and then in the book, you have a place called The King Finally Returns. And this is when this is all going to be dealt with. You say Christ will arrive unannounced, uninvited, and unwelcome. Why point this out? I mean, kind of, I've never heard anybody say he'll arrive. I mean, I know unannounced maybe because nobody knows, but then uninvited and unwelcomed? What is that? Yeah, well, throughout the book of Revelation, what we see is a progression in humanity in terms of their attitude towards God. Uh, and it begins in chapter 6, where all of humanity, uh, in response to God's judgments, they, they simply go and try to hide from them. But they're trying to, to avoid them. But then as you progress on into <clears throat> chapter chapters 9, chapter 16, you see over and over again where they then refuse to repent of their sins. And then it says that they actually start blaspheming God. So they're shaking their fists at God as a, as a planet, as a human race. Uh, there, it says that they are even... Um, mocking God and and calling Him names, that type of thing, and so we we find out that um, that when you get to chapter fourteen and then again uh, in chapter uh, nineteen that they're not, they're not just hiding from God, they're not just re- refusing to repent of their sins, they're not uh, refusing to um, uh, to leave their ways, and they're not just blaspheming Him. But now, when you get to chapter nineteen at Armageddon, they are gathered together as a human race to try to kill God. So that's how bad it's gotten, and Satan is obviously behind uh, this deception. But yeah, so so he is very unwelcome back to planet Earth. Satan says, hey, this is my domain, it's my territory, you are not welcome. And all of a sudden the Bible says uh, in Matthew 24 and, and Revelation 19, the lights on planet Earth go out, and then there's a bright light that appears through the clouds, and it's the King Jesus uh, coming, riding back on a white steed. Uh, he's come back uh, to, to deal retribution to all those who don't know him. No. And so, uh, yeah, he's going to be very, very unwelcome, very unpopular, uh, but he's going to come back and slay his enemies one day. Jeff, again, tell people how they can find out more about this book, God's Grand Finale, and what you do in the ministry as well. Yeah, you can find a book on Amazon or your favorite book distributor and find out more about my ministry at jeffkinley.com. All right. Well, folks, stay with us, and we're going to be back with more Jeff Kinley right after this. Whatever you're facing, God cares. I've had a number of very overwhelming things in my life. Ultimately, I had to depend on God, and as a result, He helped me through it. 91.7 The Word. I can certainly trust Him. Thanks for joining us today here on Crosspoint. I have Jeff Kenley with me. We're talking about God's grand finale, and I would say very soon we're going to see that all take place. Um, Jeff, in the book, you at the back of the book, you start asking some questions and uh, answering them, I guess, at the same time. It, guess questions that people would ask. Yeah, how will the earth be different? Uh, will there be animals? Uh, what will our roles be and stuff? Why did you put that in the book? Because there are people with all these different questions? Yeah, that and, and the fact that Revelation ends that way. It ends by telling us about the new world, the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, tells us about well, essentially what heaven's going to be like, which is essentially being with God and what's not going to be there. It's interesting how John 
uh, in Revelation tells us that the new things uh, that are coming uh, involve the things that that are not here, that are not there, that are here right now. Things like no mourning, no crying, no pain, no thirst, uh, nothing uh, that would bring any sort of sadness or sickness or heartache. Uh, God's going to wipe it all away because all those things essentially stem from original sin. And when sin is out of the picture, then all those things are gone as well. So it really does give us a, a great picture of what our future is going to be like. And, you know, knowing that you have a, a hope and a future and a bright future and that God's going to be there and he's going to take care of all of us together kind of helps us to kind of endure the things that we're going through right now because uh, better things are waiting for us in the future. Well, you talked about the following of falling away, and especially that can happen to the apostasy of the church. Is there not some talk sometimes that Revelation is not to be taken literally but figuratively and uh, to kind of downplay, kind of like where people use the replacement theology thinking of, you know, the United States has replaced or the church has replaced Israel and all that. Do they not do the same thing when it comes to things like this? Well, they do, and part of it is because there there are a lot of things that are frankly bizarre in the book of Revelation, so that people think, well, that, that could never really happen. But if you think about uh, the Old Testament prophecies and the things that were prophesied there, they all came true uh, 100%, literally and exactly as prophesied. And so as we look forward to you know the book of Revelation, we would expect God to, to uh, fulfill these prophecies in the same way. The other thing, too, is that, you know, I mean, 50 years ago, reading Revelation is so much different than today, because now we can look at Revelation and say, well, none of this is science fiction. Uh, from a technological and warfare standpoint, all of this is possible. From a global governance standpoint, all of this is possible today. So it, it really is kind of like the, the closer we get to the end times, the more, uh, the more palatable, if you will, Revelation becomes in the sense that we can understand how these things could take place. So if you take it literally, then you can pretty much pinpoint the, the events and the types of things that are going to happen in Revelation. If you take it symbolically, then it's pretty much anyone's guess as to what any of these things mean. And so Revelation just becomes a, you know, a book of mystery. Uh, but the word itself, Revelation... <laughs> It means to un- uncover and to reveal, not to hide. So we know that God wanted to write this final book for us so that we could understand, not so that we could scratch our head. So looking at the book, God's Grand Finale, uh, would, would you say this would be a group discussion, maybe a home Bible study, a Sunday school class, maybe some group that gets together and, and talks about these issues or talks about the Bible? that with where we're at today, what's happening today, they could almost bring really a newspaper alongside this book and read the newspaper and read what's in this book and see how things correlate? Oh, absolutely, without a doubt, because essentially you're studying the attributes of God. And by the time you get to the end of this book, which is I'm taking you through Revelation, is that you will discover 13 attributes of God uh, on a level, perhaps, that you haven't seen before, because you see them his attributes actually being played out in history and in humanity uh, and in heaven. And so all these things really kind of come full circle to say that Revelation, uh, even though it's a great book to find out what's going to happen in the future, it ends up being really a deep devotional book as well because of God revealing himself to us. And, you know, God just wanted us to know what the future was, but he really wanted us to know, hey, here's who I am. 
and here's how you can relate to me through my book. Well, some people have trouble with knowing about Revelation. I mean, some preachers don't even want to preach from the book of Revelation because maybe they don't understand it as well and feel they're qualified to. But having a book like this and maybe other books that you've written as well, coming alongside trying to help people should, would you say, encourage pastors and teachers to maybe, you know, dig in and start seeing what really Revelation says? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I encourage people to buy a copy, an extra copy for their pastor, because, you know, any pastor loves to study the Bible, and that's exactly what this book does. But it also gives him a lot of tools uh, to not only use to help his congregation know God better, but also for him himself to understand the book of Revelation uh, in a more clear format. So instead of having, you know, conspiracy theories and, and um, setting, date setting and, you know, wild speculative ideas, I'll just tell you what the Bible says and uh, put it in a language that I think everybody can understand. Well, you mentioned the word conspiracy theories. Boy, there's sure a good handful of those things out there anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you see things happening and you wonder how much more actually we can take in some of these areas or how much more God will allow sin to run its course when we see some of the lewdness and abominations that are, are being performed now in our society that wasn't even done four years ago. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just continued to grow worse. So wouldn't you say with this book, God's Grand Finale, we, we're actually getting there pretty quick now? It's kind of really sped up over the past few years. You know, you've been talking. I know you've taught prophecy and stuff. But now all of a sudden it's really coming to the forefront. Well, I think so. I think there's a, a lot of accelerants today that are helping us understand how fast Bible prophecy is moving along, how how really devolved the world is and how disconnected they are from God. And I think that, you know, one of the principles that I always share with folks is that the darker the night, the brighter the light. And so if you've ever wanted to be a witness for Jesus Christ, now is the golden hour uh, for us to do that. However, it will draw the bugs. You know, light draws bugs. And, you know, whenever you ever stand up in the darkness, you turn on the light. Um, some people are not going to like that. And uh, you're going to be the unwelcome one to the party. Uh, but Jesus predicted in John 15, if they hated me, they'll hate you. So uh, we have to be witnesses. We have to take the, the barbs and the arrows that come our way. But these are the last hours. And so we have to be prepared to help our world know about Jesus Christ and to warn them to flee from the wrath to come. And you mentioned Jesus Christ. Well, in, when you study the book of Revelation, isn't he the central theme of the Revelation, book of Revelation? And a lot of people yeah. dismiss that. Absolutely. In fact, he's all throughout, uh, woven throughout the entire book of Revelation. In fact, Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so if you've studied Revelation and you haven't fallen more in love with the Jesus of Revelation, then I, I always say you've done it wrong. You know, you need to go back and study it the right way and to see how God wants all of these things to just elevate our thoughts to him. Uh, and to draw our hearts uh, into a closer relationship with Him. Now, you say that Revelation, you believe, was written to arouse a slumbering bride so that she could prepare for the intimate return of the bridegroom. Uh, Today's churches became, in general, pretty complacent, hasn't it? Yeah, we've really given in to mediocrity. We've given in to secularism. We've allowed the worldly philosophies to creep in. And even the, the way in which sometimes Jesus and God and the Bible is presented, it's just such a soft sell. I mean, where are the men 
uh, that are standing up and just simply proclaiming truth in season, out of season, as Paul exhorted Timothy to. That's what we need. We need clarity in our pulpits. Uh, we need confidence, and we need uh, people to give us the sense of hope uh, from the church itself. And I think that's one of the things that Revelation does for us quite well. I guess you would encourage people to read a book like yours, but also to really for themselves get their eyes open and read the book of Revelation and see how that dates to you know what's happening in our world now and what the future is to come but you would probably i would imagine encourage a lot of people if you say don't forget you know read the bible but please read revelation absolutely in fact it's the only book in in, of the 66 books of the bible that comes with a promise of blessing if you do read it. it says blessed are those who read who hear and who obey uh, these prophecies and very interesting you should say here because that means that it's supposed to be preached <laughs> and yeah. so that's why it's, it's so um you know disappointing that more pastors aren't uh, preaching it but yes get into it for yourself uh my book god's grand finale can serve as sort of a guide like a guide up the mountain or a trail guide to kind of help you through it a little bit but make sure you have your bible open and uh, that you're reading through that uh, that text itself i would assume when you're going to do this it'd be good to keep a pen and paper handy because you know things are going to register in your mind say hey that's happening when did that happen i remember something along those lines um in the page 226 of the book you said uh granted some of revelation's prophecies stretched the mind almost to the point of appearing unbelievable however the reader is confronted by the undeniable reality that the one who authorized or authored scriptures final letter is the same one who rose from the dead. We're back to Jesus again, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the fact that he's a living Christ, that pre-authenticates every prophecy in Revelation. In other words, these prophecies are guaranteed to come to pass because the one who is risen, who is dead, and who is alive forevermore is the one who wrote the book. And so uh, that's what he tells John all the way back in, in chapter 1. And so that's the Really, the hope that we have is that these aren't speculations. These aren't the wild rantings of a 95-year-old apostle on on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, These are the direct revelation and unveiling of the will of God for planet Earth. And wouldn't you say, too, especially as you read Revelation or this book, that this kind of is a portrait of God himself and, you know, who he really is and what he's really going to do? Yeah, I think the most important question we could ever ask ourselves is, who do I think God is? Uh, A.W. Tozer said that's the most important thing about you, in fact, is is what you think of when you think of the Word God. And Revelation really gives us, I mean, the whole Scripture does, but Revelation really gives us that portrait of our God. And so, as I said, it really elevates our thoughts. It takes us to a higher level thinking of God. It takes us to a deeper level in our experience of Him. And it takes us to a level where we want to spread the Word of God and the truth about Jesus uh, to people all around us. So, yeah, it really does kind of, uh, I think, minister to us on multiple levels. Now, if a person is just reading the book of Revelation, they're following along with your book as well, and they're putting them together and they're reading, where would you think we are in a timetable area maybe with Revelation right now? We passed the seven churches, are we in the Church of Laodicea, or where are we in this book of Revelation 
uh, right now. Of course, we're still here, so we know we're not at the final part of it. But yeah. but tell us what we where we're at, maybe, or what we're experiencing to think what's where we're at. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we're definitely not in chapter four because the church is uh, seen as being in heaven there. Um, I think we're in the end of the church age or toward the very end of the church age. So I would say if we were to identify with one church, it would be the church of Laodicea, the church that was uh, lukewarm, uh, that Christ uh, threatened to spew out of his mouth. Uh, historically, I think that's where we are. I think there's also uh, pockets of uh, the body of Christ that really resemble those other churches as well. But in terms of a chronology, uh, we're somewhere near the end of the church age, right before the rapture, uh, and obviously before the beginning of the tribulation. So for that close, Jeff, is there a good good idea that we possibly, the real Antichrist, is alive somewhere on the earth? I think so. I, I think that, you know, think about if the Antichrist uh, assumes power, he's not going to be a teenager when he does that. He's not going to be you know, 23 years old, a college student, he'll probably be a man of some stature, so, you know, mid-30s, perhaps, maybe the age of Christ when he assumed his ministry, because Satan wants to mimic that, so somewhere around age 30. Uh, so if that's true, then uh, and, then the Antichrist uh, could be alive. Even if the rapture is 30 years out, then Antichrist is probably still walking, walking the earth right now. Yeah. Well, again, the book's entitled God's Grand Finale. Wrath, Grace, and Glory in the Earth's Last Days. Now, Jeff, tell people how they can find out more about this book if they want to get a hold of your ministry as well, uh, find out about all the other books you've written, or listen to some of your podcasts and stuff. How do they do that? Yeah, so the book is available on Amazon or your any favorite um, book distributor that you have. Uh, information about me can be found at jeffkinley.com, and you can watch Jeff Kinley live on his channel. I'm also the uh, host and teacher now of the King is Coming television program that formerly hosted by Dr. Ed Heinsohn. Uh Then, obviously, the Prophecy Pros uh, podcast, uh, you can listen to that anywhere podcasts are. We're up to uh, over a million downloads now. And then, finally, my Vintage Truth podcast that you can watch on the uh, Jack Hibbs Real Life Network, reallifenetwork.com. So a lot of places to find me out there. All right. Well, Jeff, thanks again for being with us on another edition of Crosspoint. Mark, it's a pleasure as always. Thank you, brother. Good interview today, folks. The book of Revelation. I hold the Bible in my hand here. I've got the God's grand finale in the other hand. You know, we need to know what the Bible says. That's where Jeff got all of his information at today. The Bible teaches us how to live and not to live. It gives us instruction for life. It gives us encouragement for life. It helps show us how the road that we can take will lead us to eternal life through Christ. The Bible is the very inspired words of God, and it shows you what eternity holds for those that will follow it. The Bible contains the most important words that you're ever going to read and certainly ever need to be following. So be sure and join us again next time as we again discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week. Allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor. Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNAO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, Neosho, Missouri, 64850, or by email crosspoint at kneo.org. 
You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime online at KNEO.org. 